here and our visitors, the shepherds. Thank you for coming here. Uh, we have had a very interesting experience this morning, and that is that our Sabbath school teacher went ahead, was asked to teach, and this is her first time that she's ever taught a Sabbath school lesson. And she's done a super job. And uh, it seems like most of us sometimes try something for the first time, and uh, we are very happy for it. Uh, that's what we call a mountaintop experience. A mountaintop experience. So what I want to do today is tell you that in the Bible, the Bible speaks so much about many hills and mountains, and they are connected with spiritual experiences, some very fascinating experiences. We think of Mount Zion, where worship was made, and then the hill of Bethel, where an altar was built. And then we have Mount Carmel. You remember Mount Carmel? And that is where God himself was vindicated. He proved that he was the true God. And uh, the offering was accepted. And not only the offering, but uh, the water, the stones, and all was ex accepted by God, if I may put it that way. So the experiences on the mountaintop, it sort of gives us the assurance of mountains, stability, power, and it's been there for always. Now, you remember David, the singer of Israel. He revealed his firm trust in God. And here's what he said. He said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, you would almost think that he was looking at the hills for the help. But in Psalms 121, 1 and then the next verse, it says, My help cometh from the Lord. So, the hills and the mountains are only symbolic as we think of the spilled blood on Calvary's cross. We have the wine, that's symbolic. We have the broken body of Christ on the cross, and we take the bread in communion service, that's symbolic. So here, the man of God says the same thing. My strength comes from God, but the mountains are symbols of how great God is, and God made the mountains. So when we think of Christ, we not only think of his loyalty to God, because he was the son of God, but his lovely, beautiful character, we know, and we know so little when we think of how great 
Christ is. Because for God so loved the world that he gave Christ for us. So as we follow life of Christ, we realize that we're going to have some experiences that we are going to look at, and you will say, why did Christ go through those experiences? And he was victorious. You and I will notice that the experiences that Christ went through are the very experiences that you and I will be going through. There's no question about it. Christ knew what it meant to be tempted. For, as we read, he was tempted in all points. Tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted, but he didn't sin. Some of his greatest temptations came right after he was baptized. How many of you were baptized? Do you remember the day and the time and what happened shortly after? How you were tempted to do certain things? I still remember the temptations I had. As soon as I became a Seventh Avenue, it seems like so many things started to come my way that was a little hard to know how to handle it. So Christ was tempted after his baptism. And he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Jesus fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. And Satan took advantages of his hunger, even though he fasted. And we're told that Satan said to Jesus the following. That's the first temptation. Are you ready for this? Satan said to Jesus, If thou be the Son of God, did you notice how Satan questioned as if, are you the Son of God or aren't you? Not sure. That's the way Satan operates. But here Satan said, if you, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That's in Matthew 4.13. Can you imagine just think, Christ created the whole universe. Christ created Lucifer. And he dares to look at Christ and say, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Did he not remember that Christ made everything out of nothing? Amazing. Satan knew that the Son of God, <clears throat> before the creation of the world, he was with him. Lucifer was with Christ in heaven. And here they are on earth. Are you getting the amazing evidence of how in heaven in the beautiful heaven, Lucifer, before he even sinned, worshipped 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He worshipped. And now, here on earth, after Lucifer fell, look at the confrontation. So Lucifer envied the position that Jesus had in heaven. He was jealous of him. And when man sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, Christ volunteered to give himself as an offering to pay the penalty of sin. That all happened in heaven. And Satan was determined to destroy Christ. Do you see what happens when a person begins to sin and keeps sinning and sinning and sinning? The result is that you just feel like killing. You feel like even killing God. Amazing. So since Lucifer fell, he was a liar, a murderer, a tempter, even tempting Jesus Christ himself. Satan knew that Christ was tired, hungry, so he suggested to him, if he were the Son of God, he need not suffer. He could turn the stones into bread and eat. Have you ever wondered, ever since you became a Christian, that you should have certain privileges? Because you're a Christian, you should never be hungry anymore. You should never be thirsty anymore. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how some people think. In fact, some preachers preach, look, God will bless you with this and that and everything else because you're a Christian. Have you been tempted? But Christ knew that Satan was tempting him and he knew how to meet Satan head on. You know what he replied? Watch what Jesus replied in the first temptation that Lucifer gave Christ in the wilderness. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And yet there are some people who think they can live by eating bread alone. They don't care about church. They don't care about reading the Bible at home. They don't care about praying. They say, no, I can do it. I'm okay. Have you been tempted that way in any shape or form? Christ was tempted, but he knew how to answer it. But by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, he trusted God fully. Failing in this attempt, Satan doesn't give up. He goes and takes another jab at Christ. So Christ was taken by Satan some way to a high pinnacle of the temple 
And here's what Satan said to Christ. Watch the terminology here again. If thou be the son of God. Interesting. The first one was, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. This one, the same way. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. And now Satan quotes Christ. For it is written, Lucifer says exactly what Christ said in answering the temptation. For it is written, Lucifer says, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Uses the word stone into bread. Interesting. Are you following what I'm saying? How Lucifer uses the same words as Jesus did in his reply on the temptation. That was all in verse 6. So Jesus answered him by saying, watch it. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, Lucifer said to Jesus. And here is the answer that Jesus gives again. He says, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Interesting temptation. Let's bring it right down to where we are being transformed into the image of Christ. So we would be expected to be tempted like Christ was. So in what way, in what way is this temptation applicable to us to where we may be tempted the same way as Jesus was tempted? Well, if thou be the son of God, if you are a child of God, you're being restored back to God, cast thyself down, you know, don't worry about it. Take, don't even take care of yourself. Do whatever you want. So what? God will take care of you. Are you following? And then Lucifer even says, for it is written. The Bible is full of it, talking to each one of you. There are angels that will help you and guide you and take care of you. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. Hey, the angels will take care of you. And yet we're told that there's some places where God's people go, angels cannot go there. Are you following? The kind of temptations that you and I are going through, and we think, well, Christ went through the temptations, so, yeah, that's Christ and that's Lucifer. But we learned today in Sabbath school that we're being tempted all the time. Job, sure he was. How about you and me? How can we apply that to today? And Jesus answered, if thou, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So how, how do you and I answer Lucifer? 
the same way as the apostles, get thee behind me, Satan. Don't tempt me. Get out of my way. Instead, sometimes we know we're going to be tempted. And we prepare in case we're going to be tempted to do what that temptation wants us to do. And we go ahead and do it. You want me to give you an illustration? Have you heard about that little boy whose parents said, on the way to school, do not go swimming in that little lake anymore. And then they said to him, if you go and swim in that lake once more, we are going to reprimand you and you're going to be in trouble. Well, what do you think happened? A few days later, the little boy went swimming again. And the parents said, what? And you went swimming again? Did you have your bathing suit on? Yes. And they said, well, why did you take your bathing suit along? Well, in case I was tempted to go swimming, I took my bathing suit along. You get the point? In case. So, so we sort of prepare in case something happens. I still remember, I still remember the time when I was just 22 and a half, 23 years old. My first church that I pastored. And in Canada, they have two things. You have a post office here that belongs to the government. And then you have a liquor store here next to the post office that belongs to the government. So the government sells liquor to people, beer and hard liquor. I happened to go to the post office, so I parked right here. And just as I parked there to go in, I got out of my car, and out of the liquor store came one of my church members. And the church member had a case of beer behind him. He was carrying it like this, but when he saw me, he put it behind him, and he went like this. Uh, good to see you, Pastor. Good to see you. I'm so glad to see you. Uh, goodbye. I'll see you again. He didn't know that just in case the pastor was there not to even carry it, but put it in a bag so that the pastor doesn't see it. So what, what do you do? I was aware of it. Do I confront him? If that's what he wants to do, you have to do it. Let him do it. What can you do? So there's certain things that you and I cannot do to people. If they're tempted, they want to fall into temptation, that's their problem. We can encourage them to be faithful, to be true, to do what they need to do, to worship God aright, and to take care of God uh, and his, uh, the way we worship God and, and his property here and, and uh, all the blessings that God gives us, that we're faithful in our tithes and in our offerings, uh, we can encourage each other, but you still can simply do what you want to do, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. 
It's all in your hands. So now that's the second temptation. Would you like to deal with the third temptation and see how we apply it? So the third temptation was made on the mountain where Satan showed Christ the world and all the glory. And Satan said to Jesus, watch it, all these things will I give thee, as if he owns it. All of these things I will give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Can you imagine a creature created looking at God, the creator, and saying to him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Would you mind helping me with a sermon? Tell me a little bit of how you have been tempted in the same way. Go ahead, you translate. Loud? When I am tempted, uh, my okay. Everything was taken away from you when you became a Seventh Avenue Christian. Uh-huh. That you had before. Before. Yeah, go ahead. Y 
Wonderful, wonderful testimony. Anybody else? Did you know that when I became a Seventh Adventist, I decided to take theology, and then I had the first district that I was at. Did you know that I was on a call porter internship plan, and my wife was willing to go with me wherever I went to serve the Lord? And did you know that I was getting paid $60 a month $60 a month for pastoring, for pastoring three, two churches and three companies, a district of, of 200 miles by 300 miles. And uh, did you know that uh, I pastored Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? But on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I had to go call-portering to earn money to help me and my wife. So $60 was very little money back then? Pardon? It was very little money? That's the plan that they had at that time for young interns. And did you know that I went ahead and I did it and I was happy to do it? We, there were times where I couldn't come into churches. One time I ran out of gas. And I went to the farmer to to get some gas, and he said, sure, we'll give you some gas. And I went ahead and I said, well, thank you so much. And I said, look, I don't have any money, but next time I come by, I will bring money for you, but I don't have any money right now. He said, that's okay, don't worry. Don't even pay me, because I, I gave you special gas that is purple, that's only for tractors. So he said, don't worry about paying me. But anyway, I'm glad he didn't get caught. But anyway... Did you know that the, 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 the district that I was at, I was there for five years as a pastor. The second year, I was put on full-time, $260 a month. I was getting, I didn't know what to do with all the money because I was, yeah, it was unbelievable. And did you know that when I finally left that district to go to another church in another conference, did you know that one church member went ahead and told his friend, who was a big contractor, he said, you know, that our pastor is leaving. And he didn't explain to him where I was leaving. He didn't tell him I was going to another church. So this big contractor thought that I was leaving the ministry. So he got in touch with me and said, would you mind coming and working for me and I will make you a supervisor. I will make, I'll pay you three times more than what, the, what you're getting as a pastor. Everything, the whole world was open to me. If I can only worship money. Money, more money, more money. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm transferred to another church, another district. And did you know what? That was the best church I ever pastored where I was uh, sent to in Alberta. The best church. 
even better than Crestline Church. Way better. Way better. Way better. Way better. Do you know why? Because when I was unloading all my furniture, which wasn't very much, into the house, uh, it was a house that was there for us to rent, and all at once, at 11 o'clock, we only had one little thing to empty the truck, and the phone rang. The phone rang in the house. And I took the phone and I said, Yellow taxi, may I help you? Yellow taxi is a taxi cab. Uh, may I help you? And from the operator, they said, we are trying to find Pastor Dan Scores. This is long distance calling for Pastor Scores. Did I smarten up? <clears throat> yes, speaking. <laughs> I wasn't joking anymore. I'm speaking. And on the other end, who do you think was there? This is the president of this new conference that you're coming to. Please don't unload what you have there uh, because we have changed our minds and we want you to go to another church. Tomorrow morning, I want you to come to the conference office and we are going to give you the blueprints. You're going to go to a capital city of the, church, of the, of the, of the province and we want you to be a pastor there. You know what I did? I told him, I didn't accept uh, that job. I accepted to be in this church. He said, no, 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 no. You accepted a call to come to Alberta from Saskatchewan. Now we tell you where to go. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I'll be at the conference office tomorrow morning. And I was there. Do you know why that church that I was sent to was the best church ever pastored? I didn't, I didn't meet any of the church members. Didn't have one service there. I was just there one night, and I was gone. They were such wonderful people. They never caused me any troubles of any kind. Wasn't that nice? Wonderful people. Yeah. You see? Do you, remember, do you remember Elder Richards? He was asked one time, what's wrong with our church? And Elder Richards thought for a while. He says, well, you know what's wrong? It's people. You know, pastors and people. We all have problems. But what we have to do is learn how to love each other, care for each other, and not be tempted by Satan. Here, Satan went ahead looked at Christ and offered him something that was unbelievable. All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Satan wants us to worship him. And I want to tell you something. Satan does, does some things for people if they worship him. May, may I suggest something? In Hemet, where I was pastoring for 12 years, we went through a big church building program, wonderful people there. Did you know we had a funeral service for one of our church members? And in the funeral service, whoever is in charge of the funeral for that day is a different man. And here I noticed that it was a different man. So I looked at him and I said, sir, uh, are you new here? He says, yes, I'm very new. 
I says, then, uh, uh, what were you doing before you took this job? He says, uh, I was retired from another job, and now I'm doing this as part-time, being in charge of funeral services for this funeral home. And I went ahead and I said, oh, and what, would, what were you doing before? He, was, he said, I have been the FBI for years in the Hemet area. FBI agent for the government. And I asked him a question that I sometimes ask. What was the hardest thing for you to do in your job? You know what he said? The hardest thing for me is when a child was missing and we couldn't find the child within 24 hours we knew we'll probably never find that child. I said, why? He said, because between San Bernardino and San Diego, there are devil worshipers, and they offer human sacrifices in the worship service to the devil. And he said, that sometimes people will steal children and offer them. That's the hardest thing for me, was to see a child missing, and then I wonder, is it possible that that's what's going to happen? Are you following what I'm saying? We have no clue what the devil is up to. Not only tempting us, but he wants to be worshipped. And look at here. All these things will I give thee if thou wilt bow down and worship me. And sometimes we forget that we're probably worshipping the devil and don't even know it. Is it possible that Lucifer is the one who is a liar and he's the one that accuses us for everything and we comply with him by being accusers of the brethren. Are you following what I'm saying? Sometimes we forget that some of the things that we say and do is exactly what the devil wants us to do. And we think that we're doing God's will instead of thinking that we're probably doing Satan's will. So Christ was a man of prayer. There's no question about it. And uh, the disciples saw him pray over and over again. And you remember a lot of times when Christ prayed and the disciples fell asleep. And I can't understand how anybody can fall asleep in the presence of the Almighty God who created us and will recreate us and will create us to have life eternal where we'll live forever and ever and ever. And yet sometimes we get the feeling of we just go blank in the presence of God, 
in his house of worship. You know, it's probably all right to go blank. But what about thinking some thoughts in the house of worship that are instrumental by Satan to have us think that way? And that, there's no question about, every one of us are tempted. And yet we're in the very presence of God where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm right there with you. So the disciples saw him pray, and what do you think they said to him? Teach us to pray, they said. Teach us to pray. Of all of Christ's experiences, none has exerted a greater influence for good than the mountaintop experience of him being crucified. As if he wasn't high enough, they put him on the cross and lifted him up even higher. On Golgotha, the world's greatest sacrifice was made and our redemption was purchased. We've been redeemed because Christ was willing to die for you and for me. You know, I think it's more serious about what's going on in our own life and the experience that we're going through than ever. In fact, as the enemies gaze upon Christ with a thorny crown upon his head, and there was an event that took place where the Jews said, King of the Jews they little realized that the appropriateness of the victor's crown, for in this case, the wearer, by his death, triumphant over principalities and powers and won the greatest victory of time and eternity. This was brought up in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, page 547. Many people say that, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I'm in charge of myself and my circumstances. I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do this, and I can do that. Almost as if I can manage my own affairs. Don't interfere with me. I can do what I ever want to do, and I can get away with it. In fact, there's a statement that says, all roads lead to Rome. That's a quote. Some people say, all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do, you'll get there. Are you sure? Be very careful that you know what the Bible says. It is written. Because there is a time in life, there's a time in life that you and I 
will be tested to the limits. Where are they going to fall or we're going to remain faithful to God as Job did? And did you know that there was an experience of a certain man? In fact, he was a French preacher who was caught, accused falsely, and taken to a place where he was supposed to be crucified in the years gone by, way back years ago. And did you know what happened? When the people finally, and those that accused him, finally brought him to the place where he was supposed to be executed, there wasn't anybody there to execute him. The one who usually does the executing wasn't there. <clears throat> so they said, well, what do we do? And some people were hoping and praying that they did nothing so this man could be let free, a preacher, let free. And did you know something? Out of that group, one person said, there is no executor. I will be the one that will execute this man. A volunteer. Volunteers to go ahead and execute this man. So you look at each other here and say, really? A human being volunteered to execute this preacher? Do you know how many people said, crucify Christ, crucify Christ? Could it be that you and I, if we're not on God's side fully, can deteriorate so badly that we likewise will say, crucify Christ. Get away. I don't want to have nothing to do with him. That's your choice. And your choices that you make every day will determine, oh, just a minute. Do you remember anything in the Bible where it says, that when Jesus comes with a shout voice of archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him and we'll go heavenward. How long will we be in heaven? How long? A thousand years. And then we'll come back in the New Jerusalem. And while we're still up in the air, what will happen? The Bible is full of it. The dead that are not in Christ, the wicked dead, will be raised, right? And Lucifer is in charge now. Yes. Who was it? In charge. He's orchestrating this thing. He will deceive all the people, and he will finally say, that's Christ, that's God, that's God's people. They're coming to take over this world, and he's only got a very short time left. And what will he try to do? He will persuade all the people, all the generals, every person who is not in the New Jerusalem to destroy God, to destroy Christ. You're the one that chooses now as to whether you're going to be there in the heavens, in the New Jerusalem, or you're going to be here trying to destroy God because it's a matter of life or death. You understand how serious this thing is? And some of us sometimes say, 
So what? Does it really make a real difference? Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Matthew 24, 3. Yes, they confronted Jesus and asked him that question. Well, there's a lot of people, including non-Seventh Adventists, that are seeing clearly that the end of the world is coming. The end of the world is coming. Politically, economically, you name it. I wonder what kind of experiences you and I are having and what kind of experiences we want to have. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you unto heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Who said that? The angels, when Jesus was lifted up. The angels gave that message. And you and I have to have that same message. Yes, Jesus will come again. To see us, to see the disciples, to resurrect those that are in Christ, and what a fulfillment that will be. Where we're told in John 14, 1 to 3, you've heard it over and over again, but you have to believe it fully. Let not your heart be troubled. Some of the things that we've discussed now, it troubles us. It troubles us. But here Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Not in Lucifer, not in Satan, not in people, not even in preachers. Believe in me, God said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. You, you, unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. How many of you want to really be in the mansions made by God in heaven? Would you please stand as we have our closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, only through your Holy Spirit and by your Holy Spirit can the message be translated into our own hearts as to how the devil tempted Jesus and also how the devil tempts each one of us. And yet we know that those temptations are the ones that the devil wants us to be tempted and to commit ourselves to that temptation and sin. And yet we're told in the scriptures that 
Sin is a transgression of the law. And we pray that none of us will sin from here on. And yet, if we do sin, we know that we have a one that we can come to and he will forgive us our sins and forgive us our sins and guide us into all the truth. So we pray that you will help each one of us to be faithful, to be true, like Job. And we pray that the temptations that we have studied about Lucifer giving the temptations to, to Christ, oh, how happy we are that Jesus was not tempted but was able to handle and, and reply in such a way that gives us courage to know that with his help and with God's Holy Spirit, we too will not fall into temptation as we trust in you and your power. So we pray that when Jesus comes, that each one of us will be ready to meet him. Not because we had had victory, but because you have given us the strength and the guidance and the forgiveness. And through Jesus and his righteousness, we will be fit to have eternal life. May this be the privilege of each one present here. And those that we pray for, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.